while your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day, from local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard, to listen, and where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Welcome to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus. Chris will be back tomorrow uh, in the 8 o'clock hour. I'm joined by Grace Ferguson, reporter at the New Bedford Light. Grace, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So before we get started, uh, if you want to just talk, you know, introduce yourself to the audience and tell us about the work that you do at the New Bedford Light. Yeah. So like you said, I report for the New Bedford Light. I've been there since June of last year. Uh, my main beat's housing, but I also cover a bunch of other stuff. Um, lead pipes, lead paint that we're going to get into. Absolutely. Um, I've also covered South Coast Rail, the ballot question that got passed during the election. Mm -hmm. Um, Recently just covered all the septic Title V issues over in Dartmouth. Yeah. So housing is kind of my home, but my reporting sort of runs the gamut of whatever needs to be reported on. That's great. So um, we're speaking with Grace Ferguson. She's reported at the New Bedford Light. Uh, if you want to call in during the segment, you can at 508-996-0500 or message on the WBSM app chat. So Grace, um, the first story I wanted to talk to you about is your story on um, undocumented uh, residents, specifically children in New Bedford um, and their susceptibility to lead poisoning. Can you just give us a, uh, you know, the, um, the backdrop of that? Yeah. So New Bedford has one of the highest lead poisoning rates for children in the entire state. I think we're number two, 1% of children who get tested for lead poisoning end up testing positive. Wow. Um, and that doesn't capture the kids who are in the lower le- levels of lead. Uh, the bar is like 10 deciliters per liter of blood. But anyway, New Bedford has pretty high lead levels among the children and children who are in low-income households, children who are minorities, are correlated with having higher levels of lead poisoning. And this has a huge impact on immigrants because a lot of the time lead poisoning comes from lead paint. It's illegal to have a small child in an apartment or a house with lead paint, and so you got to remove it. But for undocumented immigrants, that tends to be a problem because – Number one, they don't want officials coming into their home to do an inspection, to do any of that case management or code enforcement. And then the other problem is a lot of the time they don't have a good relationship with their landlords and they can't get that code enforcement to come and help with the landlord to get them to remove the lead paint. So they're sort of in this situation where they can't get any help with it and the kids are there getting poisoned by the paint. And the landlords, um, it seems, are reluctant or outright refuse to do anything about it even when they know about it yeah they a lot of the time even have hostile responses to being asked to remediate the lead i've talked to pediatricians in the area and they'll say things like well you're lucky to have housing i might report you to ice they even say well then why don't you just go get another apartment somewhere else they don't really seem to want to address it and part of it is it's an expensive problem and so if you can just get another tenant why not from the landlord's perspective? Well, the problem that arises, it seems, from the... Well, what is the problem that arises from the go just just find another apartment um, position that the landlords are taking? Well, I mean, number one in the housing market, the way it is in New Bedford, that's tough for anybody 
period. Yeah. But for undocumented immigrants, they're more likely to be in unstable situations. They might actually have somebody else be on the lease on their behalf, so they might not even know the landlord. Um, but it's definitely – it just puts them in an unstable situation where they're having to find other housing arrangements and they're already feeling vulnerable. So they're basically – they know that their child's being lead poisoned. They are essentially – like almost entombed in a house uh, 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 covered in lead paint. But this lead poisoning, it can have some long-term effects, right? That's right. Uh, One pediatrician told me that it kills neurons and they just don't come back. It can have long-term effects even at very low levels. Uh, You get behavioral issues, attention issues, developmentally, generally um, problems that can slow down development uh, it's not really something that you want your kids to be exposed to. So we're speaking with Grace Ferguson. She's a reporter uh, at the New Bedford Light. So is there anything that the city is offering or any programs that are available um, for this issue? So the city does have grants and low or no interest loans for lead paint remediation. Uh, and so you can get some money to do that. The problem is a lot of those programs ask for documentation. They want photo ID, birth birth certificates, income information from not only the landlord but also the tenants. And so that's sort of a barrier for undocumented immigrants because a lot of the time they don't have that documentation. If they're even being asked to submit that, that's a scary experience for them. And so the landlords, even if they are willing to do the lead paint remediation They're putting their tenants in a position where they're being asked to submit documents that they may not have or might be fearful to give. So is there, I know you spoke with um, Helena De Silva Hughes at the Immigrant Assistance Center. I've had her on the show. Um, I had her on my old show uh, a bunch of times. She, they do fantastic work. She does fantastic work over there. But is there, you know, is there, is there any solutions on the table for undocumented immigrants to have this issue ameliorated? Well, what I will say is that the state childhood lead poisoning protection program, which is run through the Department of Public Health, I talked to them and they say that they don't ask for immigration information. They provide case management regardless of immigration status. I talked to a pediatrician at the Greater New Bedford Health Community Health Center, and she said that she does her best to communicate to her patients that this really shouldn't affect your immigration status. This should be something that you should be able to get case management on from the state to fix that. And it's not going to cause you to get deported. It's not going to have legal repercussions for you. And so I guess the solution comes from pediatricians trying to raise that awareness with their patients. Yeah. So it seems like there's um, an educational barrier um, because if they are know about the, the, the problem is, one, their lack of knowledge of that service. And two, they uh, their reluctance to access it. Absolutely. And that was something I talked about with Helena De Silva Hughes is a lot of the time it's not even really on their radar. Here in the U.S., we've had a big conversation about lead. We know it's a problem, whether it's in paint, gasoline pipes. This has been in the news. It hasn't necessarily been in the news in, say, Latin American countries where a lot of these immigrants are coming from. So, number one, it's not even on their radar. Number two, they might not even know about it until they bring their kid in to get a lead test. And then it's just this cascade of case management that they're not really that they might not understand or they right. might not be prepared to deal with because again they're afraid 
of exposing their legal status. Yeah, there's language and cultural barriers preventing them from doing Absolutely. so. So, um, and, you know, frankly, that, you know, some of the Latin American countries that you're talking about, the, the, the dangers that they're escaping are, you know, uh, I think a lot f- far serious and probably something that isn't talked about over there, like you said, is is lead paint, uh, lead paint poisoning. Um, so they they um, so they can't. So right now. The, the issue is around getting uh, awareness, um, you know, basically, and, and, and trying to remove the fear for them to do that. There's no enforcement mechanism on the landlord side right now to force them to do it anyway. So there can be if they do get code enforcement involved or if they talk to the state childhood lead protection program, they can also advocate on their behalf. So if they do have that awareness, if they're willing to accept that case management or they can even ask for an inspection from the city, at that point, the city actually moves very quickly. I talked to them. They move very quickly to get those uh, cases through the system and get those code enforcement problems fixed. So once it gets into code enforcement, it's pretty effective. But the problem is getting past that and getting people to be okay with getting the officials involved when they need to be. Is there any displacement during... Do you know if there's any displacement during the process of getting that lead paint removed? It really depends on the apartment. Sometimes it might just be on the windowsills. Sometimes it might be the entire apartment, but the landlord would have to provide some kind of habitation if they were doing that. So the landlord would, uh, if there's code enforcement, the landlord would not only have to have them basically deleted and repainted, but also put them somewhere else? I, I guess it might depend on the terms of your lease. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not an expert on where they would have to live during the lead remediation, but I think it would just depend on the case, whether or not they could stay in the apartment while it was happening or if they could move things around or move people into different rooms while they did it. I'm just not really sure. In Massachusetts, uh, how often do we screen uh, children for, for lead paint poisoning? Children are supposed to be screened several times before they're, I think, age four. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're screened throughout that process, or they're at least supposed to be. So... I think starting at nine months, maybe. I'm not sure on the exact dates, but multiple times by the time they're four years old, they should have been screened. And that's by their... By their pediatrician. By their pediatrician. It's it's a blood test. They usually start with, they just prick your finger, and then they might escalate it to a a larger blood test if they find something. So this could could actually be a substantially worse problem than, than what is being reported because this would require people to see a pediatrician first, right? It could. Yeah, yeah, totally. Interesting. All right, we're here with New Bedford Light reporter Grace Ferguson. Um, uh, really interesting story. NewBedfordLight.org is where you can check it out. Um, is there anything that we missed um, in, in discussing that? Um, I would just add one thing. Uh, Helena DeSilva Hughes did have a suggestion that potentially going through the faith community, going to churches, doing information sessions in Spanish for these immigrants okay. could be a great way to get that word out. Uh, I guess the assumption being there um, that uh, people in, you know, in the undocumented community or the immigrant community in general um, are uh, pretty active in their local congregations. Helena told me that she's had success in doing uh, outreach that way. They had really great success with doing vaccination outreach. She even had one of the pediatricians that I talked to for this story come and talk about COVID vaccines for kids at the churches. And so she thought that that might be a great way to introduce this other health issue to them.
We're speaking with Grace Ferguson. She's a reporter of the New Bedford Light. We're going to take a we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is South Coast tonight. Uh, to South Coast tonight. I'm Marcus. We're here with New Bedford Light reporter Grace Ferguson. We were talking in the first uh, portion of the segment about um, her story on um, undocumented uh, children in New Bedford being um, susceptible to lead poisoning. It's a really good story. You should check it out on newbedfordlight.org if you want to read more about it. Um, but we're moving on to a topic that we've covered here. We've covered um, at WBSM, but it's it's still going on. It's it's something that needs to be talked about, and that is the home equity theft that's been happening. Um, I remember uh, just for some backstory. I remember when Hugh Dunn brought this forward, um, and people were sort of like, "Oh my God, I can't believe this is happening here." in New Bedford. But Grace, um, just give us a little backstory. What exactly is happening with New Bedford and how they're handling um, people who are, uh, you know, have a a non-zero amount of back taxes? Yeah. So when people say home equity theft, this is a a term coined by people who oppose this practice. Mm -hmm. Really what we're talking about is tax foreclosures. And a tax foreclosure is not like a mortgage foreclosure in Massachusetts. Right. Normally, if you have a mortgage foreclosure, let's say you have a $100,000 home and you owe $25,000 on that uh, mortgage, and then the bank forecloses on you, you get the $75,000 you had in equity because you owned that part of the house. In a tax foreclosure, you could own a million-dollar house and owe $2,000 in taxes, and if you can't pay that back and they foreclose on you to collect on those taxes, you just lose all the equity that you had in that house. You might have owned it outright. And it just kind of disappears. The other thing that happens is in New Bedford, between 2016 and 2019, they actually sold that debt to an outside company called Talage that would then go pursue those foreclosures in the land court to collect on the debt themselves. Why did New Bedford do that? Well, from the tax collector's perspective, it's a pretty good deal. Mm -hmm. When Talage comes comes in and buys these tax debts, they pay off those accounts. It's not like medical debt where you can buy it for pennies on the dollar. They just pay it off. And then while they're responsible for those accounts, while they're working to collect on them, they actually keep those accounts current. So that's another reason why it's a great deal for the city. Another reason is it's expensive to go to land court. It's really time intensive. It's resource intensive. You got to use lawyers. And so it's expensive. And so when Talage comes in, they just buy those debts and then they go to land court for you. You don't have to pay all those fees. Talage estimated it can cost $2,000 for each lien, each tax debt. And when you have 500 tax debts, that adds up. So Talage does that for you. So we're speaking with Grace Ferguson. Uh, She's a reporter at the New Bedford Light. Um, So uh, I guess the practical... The practical reason New Bedford's doing it, um, I think, is pretty straightforward. Uh, you know, people can argue about the moral reasons, but the reason the opposers are ca- the people who are opposed to it are calling it home equity theft when it's a, called the tax foreclosures. Like you said, you could have paid all of that equity into a home, and essentially, it'll be like you paid no equity in your home after it's foreclosed upon. Exactly, and in a lot of cases, people owed in most of the cases people owed less than a tenth of what is now the current assessed value of their home. People, say that again. <laughs> <laughs> can you repeat so, that? Okay, all right. So in 
I just want to make sure I have this right. I have my story right in front of me. Mm-hmm. So in most of the foreclosures that Talage did, and this happened between 2016 and 2019, yeah. a few more couple of years after that, people owed less than a tenth of what that house is now assessed to be valued at. That's incredible. In half a dozen cases, people owed less than $1,000. And Talage turned around and sold it for as much as $212,000. That really is incredible. We're speaking with Grace Ferguson of the New Bedford Light. We're talking about tax foreclosures, or as some people who oppose it call uh, call it home equity theft. Because, uh, again, I uh, think worth repeating, if you have any amount of tax debt, uh, it can be sold to a third-party company like Talage. And no matter how much equity you've paid in your home, the company that forecloses on it will take all of the money, every single cent, and it'll be like you've paid nothing. So I think that was worth repeating. So you spoke with, um, I know you spoke with uh, uh, Professor Clifford, uh, UMass Law. I went to UMass Law. I didn't have the, I didn't have the pleasure of having uh, Professor Clifford, but I'm familiar with, um, you know, he's a local, you know, he's an expert in the in the area of property law. What is he saying is sort of the difficulties of the people who are in these types of situations getting their, you know, getting representation? So the issue with getting representation in this situation is usually you're not entitled to legal aid uh, where you could maybe get a pro bono lawyer, somebody to volunteer to represent you in court because you own a house. Mm -hmm. And so you're sort of disqualified from that legal aid because you own a house and yet you're about to lose the house. And yeah. generally when you're that behind on your taxes to the point where you're in court, you can't afford a lawyer. And so I think he called it a catch 22. You did call it a catch 22. You know, just general commentary as someone who's done that type of law. Um, there is a gap between people who can pay for a lawyer and people who qualify for legal aid. I actually worked at the justice bridge legal center, uh, over here on the, on union street, in New Bedford. And that was to try to fill those gaps, but it's still pretty difficult. Um, because you're sort of in this spot where you have to be very, very poor to qualify for legal aid outside of, you know, criminal representation. I think there's a little bit more leeway. You have to be very, very poor. Um, and so, but lawyers are also expensive, especially in cases like this, especially if you're going up against the company like Talage with a substantial amount of resources. So a lot of people here would definitely be, I think, and as Clifford said in that, in that area where you're, you're sort of in this purgatory of being just, you know, having just enough wealth, but not nearly enough to, 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 to get legal representation. So that's just sort of my, um. That's just sort of my rant on the need for more of a, uh, as it's been said before, civil Gideon, uh, because uh, Gideon versus Wainwright is a decision in the Supreme Court that said you had a right to an attorney in uh, criminal proceedings. Um, but there's also, even in, as a result of criminal proceedings, there can be like a windfall of legal consequences to that where you may need, need a lawyer and you can't get one. But in situations like this, you should... I think it's, you know, a lot of people, let's just say a lot of people have argued that it is, that it is imperative or it should be a legal right, a legal constitutional right to have a lawyer as well. Sorry, this, that was my um, own rant based on some professional experience that I had. Uh, So we're here with, uh, we're here with Grace Ferguson. She's a reporter at uh, the New Bedford Light. So um, the... 
This is happening not just in New Bedford. It's happening across the Commonwealth. It is. So Talage has actually, according to an ad that they ran in a trade publication, they've done business with 45 different municipalities in the state. Uh, so it's happening everywhere. And it doesn't have to be a company like Talage doing the tax foreclosure. In a lot of cases, the city or the town can do it themselves. So the city or town can. So Talage is really just um, they're sort of uh, providing, <laughs> I don't want to say public service, but they're it's a private entity that can carry out a public function they're kind of like a contractor i think you could you yeah. could imagine them being like that they're they're buying the debt from the city and then doing what the city might have done with the debt if they still had it so what you're saying is the city could itself for uh initiate a tax foreclosure sell the property and keep all the money Yes, and New Bedford did do its own tax foreclosure filings before Talich came along. So, New Bedford's in a sort of a difficult position in that, I mean, again, there's moral questions that people are, are having out, and I think members of our state legislature are having out, we'll, we'll get into that. But, like you said, it's a way to sort of streamline services and for New Bedford to you know, accrue lost wages or lost, not lost wages, lost revenue in their budget. So there are been there, you know, this has been talked about in the city council, uh, I think, but the, you know, like I said, Councilor Dunn proposed that he's gone now. The state legislatures have sort of jumped into this, um, jumped into this discussion. Uh, what are some of the things that they're t- saying and they're proposing? So there's a couple bills in the state legislature right now, um, and basically what they would do is they would make this like a mortgage foreclosure. You would be entitled to get your equity back. They also do a couple other things, just making sure that people are notified about what's happening and that it's clear to people about what's going to happen if they don't pay the taxes back. You talked about legal aid, the need for a lawyer. A lot of the time to the layman trying to understand this, this is really difficult to understand, yeah. these legalese and these notices that you get. Uh, and that's a lot of the time how people end up in that situation is they don't understand what's going on. So it would make sure that information's clear in the notices. It would put it out in a few more languages as well. Uh, but the core of it is really making it like a mortgage foreclosure so you can protect your equity. So in a situation like that, um, if you have a, uh, a, uh, you know, an amount of back taxes, you could still lose your home, but you could at least recoup the equity that you have in it. Exactly. So your home might still be foreclosed on if you can't pay that tax back, but you would get back the equity you had in the home beyond what. But you won't have zero dollars as a result. Exactly. Yeah. So um, these I, I don't this legislation that's in the state house has this. I mean, considering that New Bedford is is uh, you know um, probably a pretty significant uh, a, pr- a pretty residents of New Bedford probably make up a good portion of the victims of of this. Uh, not vict- people who are subjected to this. Um, how active has New Bedford's delegation been uh, on this? I know you've talked to you know like Rep. Tony Cabral, uh, and it seems like something that he'd generally be. Uh, you know, leading the charge on. Yeah. So we, after we published our story, we reached out to all the New Bedford legislators and all but one Strauss, we didn't hear back from, but everybody else. 
Uh, we did hear back from that they were interested in hopping on this bill. I just checked today. I saw their names on sponsors of the bill, and so they are interested in advancing this. So, um, so that, uh, yeah, you, I saw you know, have quotes from Hendricks. Uh, I think Paul Schmid uh, said he was uh, sickened by it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Rep. Chris Hendricks said he'd co-sponsor the bill, and I believe Senator uh, Senator Mark Montigny's filed his uh, legislation, right? Yes. So he has the Senate bill. Okay, so it's basically there's a House bill and a Senate bill, and they essentially have the same the function. same core function, right? Is, is there has there been any conversation about how this is the likelihood of its passage um, with the with the members of the delegation? Well, it has failed to pass two sessions in a row, and part of the reason why it hasn't passed yet is because they wanted to study it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, Roy Vitolo and uh, Jeffrey Roy, they're the legislators who put it forward. Uh, I was talking to Jeffrey Roy for the Talage story, and he said that there's not really ever a clear path with legislation. Um, So he's hopeful that it's going to pass this year, but there really just are no promises. Jeffrey Roy has a chairmanship. Which one is it? Oh, he's chair of, um, I think, Energy and Environment. So it's a bit of out of his purview to to probably get something like that uh, um, expedited, we'll say. Um, I mean, Shane Burgo has been pretty involved in housing issues. Uh, he under, you know, once he was elected, there was the establishment of a city council committee on homeless and housing uh that's now a committee of the whole. It used to be just a you know committee with five or six counselors. Now it's a committee of the whole, which means it's every counselor. Um, has he made any public comments to you or anybody about this? He has not. I haven't heard from him. Interesting. Wait, you know, I might I might have to correct that. Um, give me one second. I'm looking at my story right now. Um, well, we can get to that okay. after. Um, you did speak with uh, you did speak with Ari Sky. Um, I did. Yeah, Ari Sky used to be the CFO. That position still hasn't been filled yet, but uh, he is now the town. Uh, he's now the town manager in uh, in Lakeville. Um, he sort of tried to give a rationalization for the practice that they were doing. What did he What did he basically say? So what he told me was that the city had a huge problem with the amount of outstanding taxes uh, at the time when they were thinking about selling to Talage. It had actually caused the city's credit rating to take a hit, is what okay. he told me. Uh, so the city was facing financial consequences for it. And what you'll hear from him and New Bedford's tax collector at the time is that they need revenue. They need people yeah. to pay taxes, taxes, and they also need people to know that the city is serious about paying taxes. That's the other part about it, is just the attitude and the knowledge of the public is that the city is serious. And their feeling was, after they started selling to Talage, people started to realize that and people started to pay. One of the things about when towns sell to Talage, they say that once that process gets going and people start hearing about that auction is coming, they tend to come in and get on payment plans or pay it off. Uh, so even before those decks get sold to Talage, there is kind of a sense in the community, at least according to Talage, that people realize the community is serious about collecting on those taxes, and so they start to come and pay. The um, former um, financial person you're talking about, is that Renee Fernandes, who went to, yep. Middle, went to Middleborough, I believe? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... 508-996-0500. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is South Coast Tonight. Download the WBSM app and listen to us everywhere. 
As a veteran of the United States military, I can finally get the opportunity to enjoy special events, like a date with my wife, or going out together with my family and friends. Things that we couldn't afford, thanks to Vectix. Every empty seat at a concert, a game, motorsports, or a play is a missed opportunity to say thanks to a veteran and service member. We can help. We can give our veterans a special event where they too can create their own cherished memories. Find out how by visiting www.vettix.org. That's www.vettix.org. Find out how you can make a difference in a veteran's life. Transitioning out of the military, it's difficult. Just about everything around you changes. I would get phone calls that brothers were dying. Some of them to suicide. And I'd found myself in another cold cemetery. And I started to wonder if I was next. It's a struggle to know that you're facing challenges, but not be ready to face them. Sleep doesn't come easy. And when it comes, it doesn't last long. You're tired all the time. I didn't reach out for that help, but thank God my wife did. She got me registered for Wounded Warrior Project, talking to somebody that would listen to me and understood my story, helped me realize that it was time to change. There's a new fight. There's a new mission, and that's something I am eternally grateful for. See how we help warriors combat stigma at woundedwarriorproject.org slash combat stigma. As a veteran of the United States military, I can finally get the opportunity to enjoy special events, like a date with my wife, or going out together with my family and friends. Things that we couldn't afford, thanks to Vectix. Every empty seat at a concert, a game, motorsports, or a play is a missed opportunity to say thanks to a veteran and service member. We can help. We can give our veterans a special event where they too can create their own cherished memories. Find out how by visiting www.vettix.org. That's www.vettix.org. Find out how you can make a difference in a veteran's life. One's on the left, left, the other on the right. Right. But they're both ready to call it right down the middle. More of Marcus and Chris on South Coast Tonight here on WBSM. Welcome back to the show. I'm Marcus. Uh, we're joined by <clears throat> New Bedford Light reporter Grace Ferguson. So we were talking uh, about the tax foreclosure um, uh practice that the city's been engaging in for some time uh would opponents or people might colloquially know it colloquially colloquially <laughs> colloquially know as um uh home equity theft that's a difficult word to pronounce uh i don't can you pronounce it colloquially oh Coll- no i can't <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. <laughs> yeah. So, so, um, so, Grace, uh, we were just talking about the the company themselves um, and sort of how they uh, create their you know reputation. Um, and can you just tell us a little bit more about Talage the company? So, Talage was founded in 2010 
by Bill Cowan. He had done real estate investments for Fidelity Investments. He has another real estate development business that rents out parking spaces near his downtown Boston condo. Uh, So he founded it with his lawyer, uh, Dan Hill, back in 2010. And over the last 10 years, over the last, I guess, 13 years now, they've done a lot to really cultivate their business and make sure that it's together and they have a customer base. Mm -hmm. They take out ads and trade publications. They go to the Massachusetts Collectors and Treasurers Association events. They've been to at least 28 of them since 2011. And so they will do gift baskets. They'll host meals. They'll sponsor conferences. They'll actually even teach lessons to tax collectors about how to sell their tax debt. And then they'll also approach tax collectors directly, go to select boards and do a presentation kind of showing the town sort of like a sales pitch. Here's what Talage can do for you. So they go to municipalities themselves and pitch it. What, in public meetings? They they go and pitch? Yeah, you pitch find this? them in select board meetings generally. So they'll do a pitch. Uh, they'll either be invited by the tax collector or maybe they've had a conversation with a tax collector before. And so that tax collector wants to pitch it to the select board. Uh, or the tax, the tax collector will just pitch it themselves after having had a conversation with Talage. Does he go? Does the CEO and his partner do they go themselves, or do they send somebody usually? Bill Cowan, the the owner of the business, he'll go himself in person. Interesting. So we're speaking with Grace Ferguson. She's a New Bedford Light reporter, um, and so uh, it seems like they do a lot to ingratiate themselves to people, but they make a substantial. I mean, they they have the funds to do it, right? They make a, a substantial amount of of money doing this. It's not really clear how much money they make, but I can tell you that they bought 500 tax debts from New Bedford alone, and the law allows them to charge 16% interest on those tax debts. Then you tack on the money that they make off of foreclosures. Here in New Bedford, that was uh, roughly $6.2 million in revenue. So they are dealing in the millions of dollars in terms of revenue. So after they buy the tax debt that people already can't pay... They are allowed to charge interest yes. up to sixteen percent. Do we know if they do? They do. The, the law the, says sixteen percent. It's not really up to sixteen percent. It's sixteen percent. Okay, so it's just a flat sixteen percent. Yeah. Okay, so then they, they they obviously they tack that on. Yep. Okay. Interesting. Um, so we're speaking with Grace Ferguson. She's a reporter at the New Bedford Light. Um, so, what is their sort of? Is there any idea of what their position is on this? Um, I'm sure that there's people that have called them a lot of unflattering names um, and accused them of a lot of um, unflattering things uh, for engaging this practice. But do they have a public position on it? So they did not grant me an interview. They did answer a few questions for me over email. But what they've told reporters in the past is that they work within the letter of the law. This is a completely legal business and... They're just working within the law. That's pretty much it. That's it? They're just working within the law. <laughs> they, 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 don't, they don't give expose interviews. They're not giving hour-long interviews about their business. They're pretty low-key. I would imagine so. So we're speaking with Grace Ferguson. She's a reporter at the New Bedford Light. We're going to take one more break for the hour, and then we'll be back. This is South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus. 14. You say that on the air? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we were just talking about how Talage tends to 
portray tax foreclosures as a rarity when they go before select boards. Um, they sort of give the impression that really you take them to land court to give them the pressure to pay. That's the reason why. Um, when Cowan was before the select board in Templeton in 2014, he said, and this is a quote, well over 99% of tax titles eventually pay off because people don't lose their properties to delinquent property taxes. They just need the pressure to pay. I asked Talage about this because one in 10 properties in New Bedford that they bought the debt for ended up foreclosing. Right. One in 10. Uh, I asked them about this. Uh, they said they don't have time to review the video, but maybe Cowan misspoke. But he did it again in 2017 in Medway. He said that they, he was explaining how they keep the tax accounts current, and then he finished that sentence saying less than 0.2% actually foreclose ultimately. So I asked him about this. This sounds like less than 2%, le- less than 0.2% of the liens that they buy actually foreclose. Mm-hmm. I asked him about this and they said, oh, no, 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 no. He actually meant under 0.2% of all taxable properties in Massachusetts go into tax foreclosure every year. <laughs> that's, um, uh, I think that's some really uh, interesting um, I guess rephrasing of of what he was saying, and I, and I'll add that Renee Fernandez, the tax collector for New Bedford, when yeah. I asked her how many foreclosures there had been after they sold the debt to Talage, she didn't know; she wasn't aware. When I told her it was fifty four, she didn't really seem surprised. But they're not tracking that after it happened. I talked to the tax collector in Medway, that town that he was in. Uh, she also didn't know. So what he's saying isn't really verifiable. Is that what you're saying? What, what I can say is that that didn't bear out in New Bedford. Okay. That wasn't true here in New Bedford. Okay. So, the, the okay. That makes that makes more sense. So, what he, he said that this is 0.2% and, you know, you said 1 in 10. That would be more like 10%. Yep. And, right. Just based on what we have here in the small sample size, what he is saying doesn't coincide with isn't 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 congruent with that yeah and, and i will say that he was talking to templeton in 2014 he was talking to medway in 2017 they bought the liens from new bedford in 2016 through 2019 yeah. over the course of four annual auctions so things might have changed and they also said that he was actually referring to 0.2 percent of all taxable properties in new bedford and so that may have been a, the sim, the same statistic he was referencing in Templeton when he said well over 99% of tax titles eventually pay off. Although a tax title is not a taxable property. A tax title is when you've already gotten laid on your taxes and the city is trying to issue a tax taking. Right. So Grace Ferguson, New Bedford Light, um, I appreciate you coming in. We're just about out of time here. But before I let you go, where can people uh, see your work uh, and follow?